Well, good morning, church. It's good to see everybody this morning. I've probably told you this story that I'm going to tell. I've probably told it to you before, but there's a good chance you don't remember it, so uh, I'm going to tell it. And whether you remember it or not, I'm going to tell it again because I, I like this story. When I was 18, I moved from the flatlands of Kansas to the hills of Arkansas. And you know they say about Kansas, they say it's so flat you can watch your dog run away for three days, right? It's that, <laughs> almost. And I moved to the hills of Arkansas, and within a week of, of living there, I went with the family from church on a hike in the hills, and we got lost. When I go back to Hot Springs, they always still give me a hard time about uh, that event. But we, we got lost in the hills, and before long, we, we found this gravel road, and we thought, the, the hope and the expectation was, if we just follow this gravel road, eventually it has to lead to a bigger road, like the highway that we came in on and where we parked the car. So we kept thinking that this gravel road would eventually lead us uh, to the highway, but there were, there were hills, of course, all the way. And so we thought every time we would climb a hill, we thought, surely this is the one. This is the hill, and when we get to the top, we'll be able to look down, and we'll see the highway, and everything will be okay, and we'll be fine. We can find the car. We can find somebody to take us back. And so we, we'd climb a hill, and we'd get to the top, and all we could see was another hill to climb. And, and so we, we'd do that, and then we'd get down to a valley, and we'd say, okay, one more. This is it. I'm positive. This time is the time. I'm sure we'll climb that hill, get to the top, and we can see the highway. And we just kept doing that over and over and over again. And every time we'd get to the top of the hill, confident that we'd see the highway, all we could see was another hill to climb. And we got more and more discouraged. And we went further and further and further. For probably for hours, we did this. Eventually, we, we decided it's, it's useless. It's hopeless. There, there must be just an infinite number of hills to climb. And so we gave up. And we turned around and went back. And it's actually a good thing that the state troopers found us about midnight. That's why everybody still gives me a hard time. But the state troopers found us about midnight. And they, they got us back to our car. And obviously, we're OK. But we found out years later where we had been on all of those hills and how close the highway was, and you guessed it, we were almost there. If we hadn't given up, we were almost to the highway. But you know, when I think about that story, I think about how similar that is to life. We feel that way about so many things, don't we? The laundry is one of those things. You know, you think, I'm almost done. This is it, last load. And then as soon as you're done, you think, ah, oh, man, I've, there's more to do. And so much of our life can feel like that. In fact, when we go into a new year or some sort of a new project, we often feel like that. Like, this is the year. After this is done, after I push through this last effort, this last project, this last thing on my to-do list, once this is done, once I conquer this hill, once I climb this mountain, then, oh, it's going to be Peace and tranquility, it's going to be paradise on the other side. Movies, stories kind of teach us to think like that, don't they? There's a conflict, and you fight through the conflict, and on the other side, you live happily 
ever after, right? You just got to get through this one last conflict. You just got to get through this one last task. You just got to climb this one last mountain. And on the other side, oh, it's going to be so perfect. And we often go into projects or we tackle things on our to-do list with that mentality. But then once we climb that hill, we often see there's another hill on the other side to climb. And then we climb that hill and we figure out there's another hill on the other side to climb. And we can get incredibly discouraged, can't we? Feeling like this effort that I have to be a better person or to have a better life or to be the person that I've always wanted to be, the husband that I've always wanted to be, the the father I've always wanted to be, the wife, the mother the neighbor, the Christian, the follower of Jesus that I've always wanted, if I could just get through this one thing, then on the other side, it's going to be so much easier just to find out there's another hill to climb and we can get so discouraged. And I want to encourage us this morning. I want to encourage us One by, like we talked about last week, we're not the only one to feel that way. When I I think about this, I think about the Jews that came back from captivity. Remember, they were carried off to Babylon in captivity. Jerusalem was destroyed, and they stayed in captivity for a while, a couple generations, and then they got to come back. Cyrus says you can go back, and Zerubbabel led the first group of exiles back to Jerusalem. And I I just know that Zerubbabel must have felt like, okay, once the temple is rebuilt, then that's sort of the last, the last little bit of our punishment will be over. And on the other side of the temple being rebuilt, after we climb that mountain, after we climb that hill, on the other side, we'll have the life that we've always wanted. We'll live happily ever after. But Zerubbabel figured out pretty soon Even after that mountain was crossed, there was another mountain to climb. And then Ezra brought back a group of exiles from Babylon back to Jerusalem. And I'm sure that Ezra thought, I've got the law. I've got the Torah of God, the law of Moses. And once the people hear it, and once the people respond to it, and we cross that mountain, then on the other side, we'll live happily ever after. And after he climbed that mountain, he figured out there were more to climb. Nehemiah must have thought that once we get back, and he led a group back to Jerusalem, and he thought once the walls are rebuilt around Jerusalem, once we cross that mountain, then on the other side of that, we'll live happily ever after. But what they didn't know, and what we know now in retrospect, is that they would end up waiting. The Jewish people would end up waiting for hundred years for the Messiah to come. And now, even though the Messiah has come, they're still waiting to do and mountains to cross. But I think we can find a lot of encouragement in this story. So we're going to look specifically at the Nehemiah part of the story. We talked last week how Ezra and Nehemiah were part of the same book originally. But Nehemiah, the book starts out by telling us that he is the cupbearer to the king, King Artaxerxes. He has an incredibly important job, and he asks about the exiles. He's living in Babylon, and he asks about the exiles that have gone back to Jerusalem. Now, you may not realize this, but it's been 90 years since the first wave of exiles went back to Jerusalem. 
And you'd expect, right? I mean, imagine yourself, you're living in a foreign land and, and you're exile, you feel like it's about to be over. All of our prayers are about to be answered. God's going to gather everybody back home and it's going to be this new golden age of Jerusalem and things are going to be great and wonderful and awesome. And it's been 90 years since the first group went back. And Nehemiah asks, how are things going? How are things in Jerusalem? Tell me what it's like there. And he gets the report that the walls around the city are still rubble. And the people are living in shame and reproach. Look at Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 4. As soon as I heard these words about the state of Jerusalem, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we've sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. And then he, he prays to God asking him to remember the promises that God has made to the Jews and the promises that Nehemiah is holding on to, and this will show you his heart. He says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. And Nehemiah is saying, yeah, that, that's what's happened. We were unfaithful, we disobeyed, and so you scattered us among the peoples. But if you return to me, and keep my commandments and do them. Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Nehemiah says, remember, remember the promises that you made, that if we disobey, you'll scatter us, you'll disperse us in the nations. And that's what's happened. But we want to return and we want to be gathered and we want to keep your commandments and we want all of these promises to come true. He says, they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. So, Nehemiah is saying, I'm going to go and talk to the king and help that conversation to go well. He says, now I was cupbearer to the king. And if you know the story about Nehemiah, you know that the king is totally receptive to his request to go back to Jerusalem and to start rebuilding the walls. And he sends Nehemiah back and he takes men and takes supplies and he goes and he starts rebuilding the walls. And of course, they face all kinds of opposition from people like Sanballat and Tobiah and they, they have to struggle through that. But all the while, again, if your mind is trained by other stories, you think, okay, yes. If you don't know how this story is gonna end, you think, yes, Nehemiah, you're almost there. You're almost there. If you could just get these walls rebuilt, if you could just get through this project, if you could just climb this mountain, if you could just get over this last one, I'm sure that on the other side is paradise. I'm sure that on the other side is your happily 
ever after. And as they're rebuilding the walls, you start to figure out there's more than just one problem. In fact, Nehemiah finds out that some of the nobles amongst the Jewish people are oppressing their poorer Jewish brethren. Look at Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 6. He said, I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. So I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you're exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. Of course, the law of Moses had told them, don't charge your brothers and sisters interest. If you loan them something, loan it to them, but don't charge them interest. And said to them, we are, we as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. We're trying to get rid of and be free of being slaves, and now you are enslaving each other. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you're doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations of our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Then he says in verse 11, return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. And the nobles surprisingly say, you're right. We shouldn't have been doing that. And they start to reform and change what they're doing. And so he kind of gets through that obstacle and climbs that mountain. And then in chapter 6 and verse 15, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. 52 days? Wow. The walls have been, since they came back, it's been 90 years of these walls being in rubble. Over a, well over a hundred years since, since Nebuchadnezzar tore down Jerusalem. And these have been in rubble. And in 52 days, they rebuild the walls. And when all our enemies heard of it, Nehemiah says, then all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. God is with them. And again, if you just kind of think about the way stories normally go, you think, this is it. This is it, Nehemiah. It's all about to come true. The temple is here, and now the walls are here, and people are starting to respond to the law, and things are going to be good now. This was the last obstacle. This was the last hill to climb. Once you get through this... Everything is going to be happily ever after. And so, of course, they celebrate the building of the walls. They, they realize that they hadn't been celebrating things like the Feast of Booths. And so they celebrate the Feast of Booths. They confess their sins. They make a covenant with God. And then, and then there's sort of a break. And 12 years go by. Nehemiah goes back to Babylon, back to the king. But then he hears, back in Jerusalem, there are more problems. He hears that Tobiah, one of the enemies that they've been dealing with through the whole story, actually has a room in the temple, and he's living in the temple. And so Nehemiah comes back, and he throws him out. The priests and the Levites were not being taken care of, so Nehemiah deals with that. People were working on the Sabbath day, 
And so Nehemiah deals with that. And then the same problem that Ezra dealt with in, in the last part of that book, the men are still marrying pagan wives, and that frustrates him. Look at Nehemiah chapter 13. Now, this is the last chapter of Nehemiah. In those days also, I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. Now again, I want you to kind of see how the story builds. And we've got all of this anticipation, all of this expectation. And again, we know the rest of the story. We know that the Messiah is going to come 400 years later. But they didn't know that. I, I'm confident that Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah fully expected the age of the Messiah, the age of peace and prosperity and blessings was just on the other side of this hill. And then once they crossed that hill, they found another hill. And once they crossed that hill, they found another hill. And just as soon as the walls are rebuilt, then you've got foreigners living in the temple and you've got people not keeping the Sabbath and you've got the priests and the Levites not being taken care of. And Nehemiah, every time he turns around, every time he does a load of laundry, he says, there's more to do. There's more to do. There's more to do. And I, can't you just empathize with his frustration and his disappointment, his discouragement? Verse 25 says, and I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Nehemiah did so many good things. God was with him in doing so many good things. But I can't help but read this and think, oh, it just gets so discouraging sometimes, doesn't it? I can't help but read that. I don't, I don't think Nehemiah was reacting rationally or lovingly. I beat them and cursed them and pulled out their hair, right? But we understand that frustration, don't we? When we have all of this expectation, once I get done with this project, once I straighten things out, once I get rid of this thing in my life, once I make this decision, once I cross this threshold, once I climb this mountain, then everything's going to be good. Then everything's going to be happily ever after. But as we said last week, the whole point, I think, of this story of Ezra and Nehemiah wasn't to say, once they rebuilt the temple, they lived happily ever after. The story's not to say, once they had the law back, they lived happily ever after. The story is not to say, once they rebuilt the walls, they lived happily ever after. The story is not to say, once they had Nehemiah to come and clean things up and pull people's hair out, they lived happily ever after. The story was to say, the faithful continued to wait for the Messiah. The faithful continued to press on. The faithful continued to wait upon the Lord. The journey wasn't completed in Nehemiah's day, but the steps that he took and the steps that they took 
were important part of the story. So here's sort of the idea that I want us to walk away with today. Every step in the right direction is an important part of the story. Every step in the right direction is an important part of the story. We might think before we take our next step, we might wrongly think this is the last step. This is the final step. This is the year. This is the decision. This is the change. And once this change is made, or once this year comes, or once I do this, or once I go there, or once I climb this mountain, then everything's going to be finished and I can finally rest. That may not be true. It might be true. This might be the final step, the last step of the journey, but it might not be. You might get to the top of this hill and find that on the other side, there's another hill to climb, but don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. What Nehemiah did, what he accomplished, he accomplished with the help of God. It was an important part of the story. It wasn't the last step of the story. For generation after generation after generation, it would require that there be faithful men and women of God who would continue to drive the story forward, who would continue to take the next step in the right direction. And you and I, as we wait on the appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus, as we continue to wait and we continue to climb mountain after mountain after mountain, we can get discouraged and think this doesn't matter. But it does. Every step in the right direction matters. Every change that's a good change of eliminating something bad in your life or adding something good in your life or changing something that needs to be changed. It might not be the final step that needs to be made, but it's an important step. Sometimes we look ahead and we think, I just have so much changing to do. There's so much more that I need to accomplish, and I just don't know what to do or where to go. The answer is, just take the next step. Just do the next step right thing. It might not be the final step, but it's an important step in your story and in our story. And know that as you take that next step, as you take any step in the right direction, you do so with God, just as Nehemiah went with God. You have even more confidence even more assurance that the Spirit of God fills you and goes with you. And you and I go together with God and with each other. I don't know how many more steps are left in your journey. I don't know how many more steps are left in my journey. When I think ahead and I think of all the things I want to accomplish and the man I want to become but I'm not yet, it can get overwhelming. And it's encouraging to me to know that, Wes, just take the next step. And as a congregation, there's a lot more that we have to accomplish together, but we do it together and we take this next step together. And maybe there's somebody here this morning and you're thinking about a next step that you need to take. It might be being baptized into Jesus. 
that won't be your last step. It might just be your first step. And as you take that step into the water and you're raised up to a new life, you just have to keep moving forward. Maybe there's somebody in here and maybe you're struggling with something, looking at things or watching things or talking to somebody or having a relationship that you know is not right or good and it needs to be eliminated from your life. Don't fool yourself into thinking that once you take that step, everything will be easy and you'll live happily ever after. It might not be the final step, but it's an important one. You can't get to where you need to go until you take that step that you know you need to take. There might be some good habits that you need to incorporate in your life Don't fool yourself into thinking that if you take that step and you start reading your Bible daily, everything's just going to be easy and live happily ever after. It might not be the final step, but it's an important step. It's an important step in your story. And together as a church family, as we walk together, as we cross new thresholds, as we make decisions together, we're not fooling ourselves into thinking this is the last mountain we'll ever have to climb. There'll be more struggles. There'll be more battles. There'll be more mountains to climb. But we will take those steps together with God and with each other. You don't have to take that next step alone. So if we can help you to take your next step, whatever it may be, we would love to do that. Visit with our shepherds. Pray with them after service in the prayer room or right now you have this opportunity to come forward as we stand and sing.